Welcome to Canucks Corner, a podcast in which I, Aaron Lane, give you the skinny on what the Canucks have done recently, how they fared in a recent game, and what's next for the team in the week to come. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast where I talk about recent Canuck happening. In this case, since it's the inaugural Canucks Corner podcast, I think I'll begin just by letting you know what the date is, where they sit in the standings, and what the results of some of their recent... So, it is December 29th, 2016, and as we stand today, the Canucks in the Western Conference sit 6th. San Jose's in 1st with 45 points, Edmonton in 2nd with 42, Anaheim with 41, Calgary with 40, Los Angeles with 38, the Canucks with 33, and the Arizona Coyotes bringing up the rear with 27. Now that, of course, puts us in a rough spot uh, in regards to playoffs. And in regard to playoffs, we're looking at not quite making even a wildcard position in the Western Conference. Of course, out of the Central, you'll have Chicago, Minnesota, and St. Louis, Pacific, San Jose, Edmonton, and Anaheim. The wildcard situation looks right now like Calgary and Los Angeles, with, of course, Dallas and Winnipeg right behind. The Canucks are... Sixth in the wildcard chase, they are actually four points behind Los Angeles, which isn't completely out of the picture, of course. Four points uh, about halfway through the season is uh, it's an okay place to be. And a lot can change in the second half, so things are looking okay. But we knew coming in that this would be a rebuilding year. I actually expected a little bit more movement. Burroughs, Miller, for example, Hansen maybe, Edler perhaps, all these players moving along as well. I guess the Sedins are going to be the Sedins, and they're probably going to be with us forever, but uh, or until they're ready to go. But that said, I figured we'd take care of the rest of our top salaries and then go in really lean with basically almost all rookies and go in from there. But it looks like we didn't do that full rebuild process. We kept a few of these veterans that we couldn't really get any quality value for. And now we're sitting halfway through the season working a lot of our rookies in, giving them the right sort of tutelage from the veterans, and some of those rookies are really are really coming along, especially like Bo Horvat and Jake Vertanen, Ben Hutton. These guys look like they can really uh, be stepping up in the next couple of years to be key members of the Vancouver Canucks core. So that's where we are, and that's fine. I don't really expect us to win any Stanley Cups in the next couple of years, so the better we can develop our younger players... And the less money we can spend doing so, I think the better we're going to be. So let's have a look at some of the games that that happened recently. On Sunday, December 18th, there was uh, Columbus was in town. I was actually at that game. Row 11, right behind the net that kept getting scored on by Columbus. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was a tight game. And we came from behind there. And we got ahead even. I just want to uh, to confirm that. Yeah, so the second period, there was Cam Atkinson scored to, to start things off, and then Saad scored. So we were down 2 nothing, and things were looking pretty dire. <laughs> and then we came back, and we uh, tied it up and even went ahead. In the end, we did... Oh, no, Columbus went ahead 3-2. That's correct. Then, of course, we, uh, we tied the game by pulling our goaltender, which almost never happens, and that was awesome. So it was very exciting to see that goal go in. And as a result, it went to overtime, and we were very excited for that. And then pretty much right away, in, last, in the first minute or so, 
the Blue Jackets did score to win the game. Getting that point that didn't think we'd get, being down 2 nothing, and then again down 3-2 late in the game. Yeah, solid game. The, uh, the Canucks really, really earned that point, which was nice to see. And then the Canucks went through a, a few games that started off well and then didn't finish up too well. Like they, they beat Winnipeg on Tuesday, December 20th, 4-1. to Being, of course, my namesake, Patrick Lane, as I like to call him. But I guess you could call him Line A or whatever, you know, whatever he actually is called. You know, that's up to you. Anyway, 4-1 to there was score. And then Winnipeg returned the favor a couple days later, Thursday, December 22nd, as they won 4-1. to So that was okay. So that's three games there. And we won one, we lost one, and we've got an overtime tie in that Columbus game. So we're going in up against Calgary, and we're thinking, oh, okay, well, get a tie or a win here, you know, against our tough rivals, the Flames, and 4-1 <sighs> against. So Calgary puts four goals in the net, and we get that one again. And so suddenly, instead of looking like, okay, we've got a win, a tie, you know, you know, overtime loss, loss here. Now it's like in our last two games, we've been beaten 8-2 to two overall. And, you know, they can say all that in the media. And then what we have is now Los Angeles is in town. And it's like, oh, no, it's December 28th. It's after Christmas. The Canucks in L.A. have both had a rest. And L.A.'s the much better team. And we're just going to lose badly. And <laughs> it's going to be three losses in a row. But that's okay. I mean, like I said, we're not expecting to win the cup or anything this year. So as long as the, the youth get out there and do their, their thing and improve, get some extra ice time, you know, extra ice time, but, you know, get their ice time, then it's a good thing. So we're actually going to have the Los Angeles game as our feature game this week. And we will get to that right away in, uh, in the game time segment. Game time. This is part of the podcast in which I discuss in detail my thoughts on a recent Canucks game. So the game we're going to look at uh, this week is Vancouver versus Los Angeles, December 28th, 2016. So yeah, this game was set up. A pretty solid chance for LA to pick up two points and Vancouver to just, you know, get more time in for their rookie players and have a good shot at stretching the Kings out a little bit. Uh, it was also after Christmas, after a break, both teams were rested. And in fact, Alexander Edler, who had missed like 13 games previous, uh, was finally back. And he looked okay, much like you would coming off uh, a long break. But he was solid enough to, you know, to do what he needed to do to help the Canucks play a decent game. Now, let's get into the first period. This, uh, this starts pretty quickly for the Canucks. Uh, they get a power play early. And Horvat's against the sideboards, passes it down to Erickson in the corner. Now, at this point, the defenseman closest had been playing too tight towards, too aggressively towards Horvat, which is awesome for us. So, getting it to Erickson, Erickson just comes straight out of the corner towards the net. So, that defenseman's out of position. So, what needs to happen now is that Drew Doughty on the other side needs to come over and get his stick in the way and mess Erickson up. Because the two, you know, forwards up front, they've got too far to come, right? Well, Doughty, for some reason, decides to just hang out on his side and block any potential pass that's coming through. He even gets down on one knee sort of thing, you know, to block those, you know, cross-ice, cross-goal passes. And Ed Erickson's like, oh, okay, well, since I'm just standing in front of the net anyway, I think I'll just score. So he did. He just uh, put it past Budai and Canucks were up one nothing, which is pretty remarkable considering the Canucks have been down one nothing at a league-high 25 of their games this year. So that was a huge deal, including the game I saw against Columbus. So yeah, huge deal for the Canucks to get up one nothing. So that's fantastic. Uh, Edler was was back on the first line, uh, first line power play, 
and mm. I don't know that that first line of first power play is kind of struggling I think because the Sedins are a year older everyone knows what they're doing on the power play you know these down low cycling plays back and forth back and forth cross ice plays you know fake shots deflections this sort of stuff so since most people most teams you know are ready for it well let's face it it just they're not as effective as they used to be this has to change for the Canucks to move forward we got to have that you know that second unit really come through like they did you know in this game where they're doing things differently they're mixing things up between down low and at the point which just like in football you're you're mixing up your long passes and your short passes you're mixing up your passing and your running game just to keep the defense on their toes and not cheating right so that they kind of know what's happening so that they get an advantage and this is what's happening to the Sedins the the penalty killers are cheating and they're cheating toward the Sedins and they're cheating toward not the shot but the slap pass or you know what have you so as a result the Sedins aren't finding that luck that they used to that success whereas the second line is starting to get things done because they're mixing it up a bit more and they've got some more talent like Hutton and Horvat and Erickson there who are now really showing that they they have these offensive skills I mean obviously Erickson has there's no question there he's working with the other guys and they're showing some skills as well so that's looking good Spiza was a bit of a Yurke Lume if I may you know throw a name out there in the first period he jumps into the slot like deep into the slot to you know to to get an opportunity but then of course gets caught by ice and later he does he pushes hard aggressively against the wall later in the game and that puts him out of position and I'm torn because I love I love to see some aggression at least from our defensive core and and especially the guys who you know have the offensive talent Spiza Spiza I'm not sure I mean the jury's out on him I think you know a lot of people have criticized him for various reasons but, you know, I think he's he's a solid guy when he wants to be. And when he's more careful about the choices that he makes out there, I think he's an excellent, solid defenseman. It's just that he doesn't always <laughs> he doesn't always make the right choices or make the the choices that work out the best in the end. And, and, and thus he ends up kind of, you know, the scapegoat uh, in a number of situations. But, you know, no, I, I, I think this game, I think he made enough good choices where I think it, it turned out well enough for him. Anyway, second note about the second unit power play was that when they were passing it around the outside, it looked good, but nothing, they, it didn't look threatening. They, they didn't look like they were going to score at any point, with the exception of the Louis Erickson goal that was a you know defensive breakdown for the Kings that he took advantage of, which is great. But it didn't look dangerous until they started getting guys in front of the net. And as soon as guys got in front of the net, things changed. And that's awesome. So if they keep doing that, I think I'll be happy. I think, you know, they'll find more success. The other thing with the power play for the first unit, and that's different again for the second unit, the first unit, the Sedins, were carrying the puck across the line every time. And again, once you do something all the time, then the your opponents get to prepare for that and get to cheat towards that, that aspect. And as a result, even if you do it well, you're likely to fail. And this is what was happening to the Sedins more often than not, is they'd carry it in and the Kings would just be ready for them and they'd take advantage and the Sedins would end up losing the puck and away they went and that that's not a strong <laughs> that's not a strong aspect of of power play when you can't even get across the line correctly occasionally they did I mean occasionally went fine but not enough and it was clear that LA had figured this out Megna I have a note here that his good hustle caused uh, a penalty and again nice to see that sort of that sort of hustle from a younger guy yeah he took a 
he took a pass from Henrik, a cross-ice pass, and pressed it, you know, quite hard, and then the uh, the Kings took a penalty on that. Then we have the, the you know, the resulting power play, where the Sedins are there in the corner, and they pass cross-ice, and everyone was really excited about this, because Barchi had a, a shot really close to the net, on the other side of the net, and it looked like he was in an excellent position to score. But when you look at this play, it is clear that Budai knows exactly what's happening here. He sees Barchi over there. He sees the Sedins in the corner. Sedins are doing nothing in the corner. They're, they're, they're no threat, right? So the only threat is up at the point or Barchi. And so as soon as Budai sees that pass even remotely go towards the goal, he just flies on over there, slides over there, puts his skate up against the, up the opposite post, and makes, relatively speaking, an easy save. Now, had Barchi been able to roof it in close corner, top corner, I mean, that would have been a different story. But, I mean, it was a bang-bang play. And normally, if the if the goalie isn't ready for it, or if the goalie is worried because you're a threat on that side of the, of the ice, and then all of a sudden the puck goes to the other side, they're not ready to move over because they're already focusing on you as a threat. But since the Sidians were not a threat at all, you know, he didn't have to focus on them. He could focus completely on the other side of the ice, out of the corner of his eye, seeing Barchi there. And he just slides over and makes the save. And, you know, it looks impressive and everything. But truth be known, clearly this was just Budai playing the game with a lot of knowledge of the way the Sedins work. And again, this is a problem for the Sedins. This is why they're not being as effective as they used to be. Uh, they're a year older, they're a step slower, and they're just, they can't get it done because teams are ready for them, and this is a good example. Whereas if Henrik or Daniel all of a sudden come out of the corner, and like Louis Erickson did, and give take a shot, all of a sudden, whoa, okay, now Budai has to be ready for that, right? But, you know, and then because he's ready for it, then they pass to Barchi, and then Barchi has an empty net and he scores, right? But because Budai could just go, nah, they're, they're not going to do it. They're going to cycle, 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 look for a pass, look for a pass. Oh, there's the pass. Okay, slide over, make the stop, right? Anyway, that's enough of that. I just wanted to wanted to go against what all these guys were saying about how amazing the play was and how whatever. I mean, like I said, it, it wasn't as amazing as it seemed. And and it shows a weakness as opposed to a strength in the, the game of the Steens. The other weakness that I saw there was the cross-ice breakouts. The Canucks were coming out of their, their zone a number of times with these long cross-ice passes. Now, ugh, obviously you want to do that every once in a while, right? Because that's how you get the puck out. You get you get it out, you know, whichever way you can. But the truth is, if you're coming at these cross-icers all the time, eventually you're going to flub the pass. You're going to just put it in the... You're going to shoot it wrong, and it's going to end up on the stick of one of these opposing players right in your slot or just steps away from it with nothing between them and the goaltender and they're getting an excellent scoring chance and scoring a lot of those. So that really didn't happen last night. At one point, they stopped one of the cross-ice passes and that made it difficult. But yeah, they're dangerous. So Canucks shouldn't be uh, focusing on them, I hope, you know, too, too often. The other thing they have to mix up, as I said earlier, is just not only on power plays but in regular play, the Sedins and the skilled players carrying the puck across the line. They gotta dump and chase. They gotta mix it up. Sometimes come across the line, other times dump and chase. It's an old formula, but 
it's an old formula because it's it's one that works, right? Again, mix it up so the defenseman can't cheat, can't have an advantage against the way you choose to go in. You dump it in all the time, well, the defensemen cheat to the, you know, the end boards, and they get there sooner, and, you know, you don't get the puck. You come across the line, they stand up at the line, they stop you from getting across the line, turn, you know, you get a turnover, and away they go. So you got to mix it up, sometimes dumping it in, and when you dump it in, those other players have to be going. They have to be already skating for the line, skating to go get that puck. And if they're not, then even if the defensemen aren't quite ready for it, they're still going to get to the puck before you, and they're still going to be able to get it out you know, relatively easily, or at least have that chance. So yeah, you've got to mix these things up, and you got to do it. Anyway, uh, the penalty kill. Canucks got a chance to do some penalty killing, and it was some of the best penalty killing I've seen the Canucks do. It was aggressive, but not out of control. It was, you know, hardworking, but didn't cause any sort of, you know, they didn't work too hard, so they're too tired late in the power play. So I was just, I was really, I was really impressed. I thought they did a really solid job there. Ah. And from time to time, I've been told I'm a little bit hard on referees. And I'm, and I'm very impatient sometimes with the way that they call the games in so much as you got the different eras where they called the games very differently. The 70s and early 80s where basically you get away with almost anything. Slashing and cross-checking and punching guys in the face. And, you know, it was a lot rougher and the, and the referees let a lot more go. Eventually, you know, it gets along to points where it goes the opposite. Where maybe about eight years ago now, uh, they had that point where everyone was... The referees were going to call everything. And it was like all that... Put a stick on a guy and it's a penalty. You step near a guy and obstruct his way his right of way, and you get a penalty, right? And that was ridiculous. I mean, just as ridiculous as letting everything go. I mean, it was the, you know, either side of the pendulum is both ridiculous. And now it's kind of shifting more towards the middle, but uh, still some of these things kill me. Like, for example, Martinez, a defenseman on the, the Kings, at least I think he's a defenseman, he, Sutter's coming in against kind of about, I don't know, 10 feet away from the boards. And Sutter crossed the line, chips the puck, to go past Martinez against the boards. Martinez, instead of turning to go get the puck, which he would have lost because Sutter would have got around him, he instead goes sideways to push Sutter against the boards as Sutter was trying to get past him. Now, I understand that those obstruction calls that used to be called were ridiculous. Take one step in the wrong direction and you get a penalty, right? But, I mean, this was John Garrett, uh, one of the announcers for the Canucks, said this was a three-step obstruction. And that he wasn't wrong. I mean, in so much as we're talking about, like I said, about 10 feet or so, 7 to 10 feet from where they started to the boards. And for Martinez to cover all that distance to push Sutter into the boards so Sutter couldn't get to the puck. I mean, to me, that that in pretty much any era, that should be an interference penalty. Sutter is trying to get to the puck. He doesn't have the puck. Martinez is stopping him from getting the puck by physically pushing himself into him. <sighs> anyway, should have been a penalty as far as I was concerned, but there you go. That's how those things go sometimes. All right, we get into this uh, second period, and being up one nothing, fantastic. That's great. Going into the second period, we've got Henrik getting in front of the net again, getting in front of the net. Sketcher. Okay, this cat, I am impressed by him, and here's why I'm impressed. He's a young kid, and the only thing he seems to know how to do is shoot the puck, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Over the years, probably the thing that my one of my biggest criticisms of Vancouver Canucks is a lack of shooting. They will pass and pass and pass and pass. I mean, it started way back with Thomas Gerdine, 
where, you know, he would pass the puck into the net. That's how he scored his goals. And it's like so much passing. And then, you know, with the Sedins, with their cycling, and Henrik is almost the exact same as Gradin as far as passing the puck into the net. And so whenever you get a guy in the Canucks whose first instinct is to shoot, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Okay, we've got a guy here. Now let's get people in front of the net so we can get rebounds or deflections. And there's Henrik in front of the net. There's Sketcher at the point, shooting. And hey, what do you know? It's a goal. So, that, awesome. That is great to see. So we've got ourselves a two-goal lead. The second is kind of shaping up as the Kings starting to take over at this point, putting more pressure on the Canucks. Canucks still working pretty hard to, you know, do what they can do to create some chances. At this point, Ryan Miller starts to look pretty good, right? He starts to have to make some saves, but he makes them. He's, you know, looking strong. He's not going to let any goofy ones in. So things are looking good at this point. Menga and Horvat both look good. They both look like they got energy. They're getting to pucks. They're pushing pucks along. They're not letting the Kings, not letting the Kings bully them or push them around. And that's great. All through that period, it's going back and forth. And the Canucks don't look as outplayed as some of the news agencies or whatever would, would have you believe, I think. Like, I think they were talking about the Canucks were dominated in the last 40 minutes and all that stuff. And that's not quite right. In the second period, it was a little bit more even. It was just that, I don't know, what would you say? The Kings maybe pushed the play a bit more than the Canucks. Had a bit more possession, but it wasn't like the Canucks were playing totally defensively or it wasn't like the Canucks weren't getting chances. Because they were. They just, it was just a little bit more more even than than anything, I guess. And I think that's because the Kings were a bit flat at this point and weren't quite quite ready to give it their, their 110% that they needed to, being down 2 nothing. But in the third period, this is where things change. Now, I noticed right away in the in the first, like, five minutes or so, Tremenkin, this cat, is nice. Like, like with Sketcher in his shot, another thing you don't see in Canucks defensemen very much is just straight-up raw power. The power to just push guys around to shove guys over sort of thing. Like, we haven't really had that big, powerful, in-your-face defensive defenseman for a long time. And with Tremenkin, it seems like that's the kind of guy he wants to be. There are a couple of moments there in the third period where he, like, just with one hand, shoved a guy out of the way, shoved the guy into the boards, and then made a play with his other hand. And that is exactly the type of, the type of defensive style that the Canucks often need and that we don't often have. So, nice to see. Maybe that's the type of player he's going to be, and if so, great. I hope that he continues to develop. Now, at that five-minute mark, that's where things change. At this point, there's a momentum shift. The Kings start owning the boards, right? They start winning the battles consistently, pinning the Canucks in their end, and it looks kind of scary because we've, we've all seen this over the years, right? We've seen these moments where the Canucks are ahead by one, and they get into this defensive shell in the third period. Actually, you know when you saw it? You saw it a lot a few years ago when Luanga was net. And the and we didn't have the scores that, that we've had in the past. And we all of a sudden went like super defensive. And so anytime we're in that third period with the lead, one nothing, two to one, we went to this defensive shell where all we did was play defense. And sometimes Luanga would win those games which was amazing, uh, which showed, you know, what an awesome goaltender he was, you know, from time to time. 
and I'm not a huge Luongo fan, but let's face it, the guy did a lot of really good work for, for us when he was here. We depended on him a lot in those situations, and a lot of times he came through. So that was that was what I saw again last night, was like, oh, we're going to lean on Miller here. But there was a difference, and that is the Canucks played that defensive style really well last night. They kept the Kings to the perimeter. They made the Kings come 200 feet by dumping it deep, and they they worked them hard. They didn't give them too many chances. They didn't give anything away. The, the Kings had to earn every inch of ice that they were getting. And yeah, they were controlling the puck all over the place, but it was all over the place on the boards and all over the place in their zone or coming through the, the middle. And and then the Canucks would be on them, and then they'd eventually get the puck and get it out and get it deep. And so I was excited because I thought, okay, the Kings are working really hard, and they're down two, and they're not getting any. Which means even if they do get a goal, they just may be, oh, finally a goal. And that release... They'll be so tired and be like, oh, well, okay. And they won't have enough to, to get that second goal. And sure enough, the Kings finally get that goal. And our friend Spiza is out there with Barchi, and they can't get the puck out of the zone. And I noticed that. I noticed that the Canucks sometimes get into these moments where they get too fancy. And I think the huge, the huge change came when the icing rule changed, where you couldn't just change your players on an icing where when you have an icing, now you can't change your players. Well, that's got it into the heads of these guys now. And these guys like Spees and Barchi, they're looking at the situation going, okay, I could just fire it down the ice here, but then I'm stuck out here with a face-off in our zone. And it's like, oh, should I really do that? And the answer is a lot of times, yes. I mean, if you haven't been out there that long, or it's like you're obviously not dog-tired, then that little 30 seconds you get or 45 seconds you get as they you know set up the face off that's time well spent to, to get another couple breaths so you can win the draw or quickly get the puck back from them get it out normally and then go get yourself you know a lunch right but these guys are so paranoid that it's like oh no i'm going to shoot it down there it's going to be icing we're going to be it's going to be terrible so they don't and that's kind of well that turns into goals like this where spezza you know uh, Spiza, sorry, and Barchi try to get it out normally along the boards, and clearly the Kings have it overloaded, and they fail, and the Kings get it, and they get it to Tanner Pearson, and Tanner Pearson, of course, goes ahead and gets it in by a spin shot off a of Burrow's stick. So I mean, I mean, even then it was lucky; it might have even missed the net had it not hit Burrow's stick. And so, yeah, I mean, they get their goal, right? Okay, and I think that was their first shot from the slot in the third period. I could be wrong there, but there was very few. And that was like their first, you know, quality shot. And there were still two Canucks right around him, right around Pearson. Uh, he was just, you know, luckily got it around. It was Carter that got him the puck from the boards. Mm. And yeah, okay, so now it's 2-1. to one, But we're talking like at 16.43 of the third, right? So three minutes and 17 seconds left. Again, just like I said before, oh, they finally got that goal. Oh, they relaxed a little bit, and they're tired. And they don't have what it takes to overpower the Canucks. Uh, Miller makes another save, I think, or two. That's solid. Through the third period, Miller was really solid. No problem. And in the end, the Canucks just uh, just work harder. And they get the job done. And they win the game. Two to one. There's not much else I can say. This has already gone on way longer than I expected, but there you go. Full marks for the win. The Canucks really went out there and did the job they needed to do. Played the game they needed to play. And in those moments in the third period where 
they had to play a certain way, they didn't go into that total defensive shell. They still got the puck out, still got the puck deep, still made the Kings work really hard for everything that they were getting. And by the time they got that first goal, it was too late. So yeah, things worked out really well. Canucks keep on playing this way. I think it'll just be, might not make the playoffs, but things will be good. And there'll be a lot of positives to look at as we head into the next season. All right, well, that's it for game time. We will now head towards our post-game. The post-game show. This is part of the podcast in which I look at the week to come for the Vancouver Canucks and make my final comments. Alrighty then. They are finishing up December with a couple of tougher games against middling opponents. They have the Ducks at home on the 30th. That's tomorrow on Saturday against Edmonton at Edmonton. Uh, Both of those games are going to be fairly challenging. We get to see Connor McDavid then against Edmonton and Bieksa and Kessler for the uh, for the Ducks there. So there's there's some interior sort of interior sort of stories to be looked at there. And then the new year, 2017. 2017 we got on the January 2nd at home against Colorado and on the 4th against the Coyotes. So we start January, we start 2017 with a chance to win two games against teams that are actually lower than us in the standings, the only two teams. So, yeah, we got it's time to make hay. If we can get, like, two points out of the games between the Ducks and uh, Edmonton and then get four points here, that might put us in a wild card spot at that point. I mean, that's that's a good deal. Uh, then we finish up the uh, the week playing a home-and-home with Calgary, uh, Friday and Saturday, Friday at home, and then Saturday at Calgary. So Calgary took us out 4-1 to one last game, so it's time for us to uh, pull up our bootstraps and give Calgary the bronco-busting ride that I know that I'll expect from the Vancouver Canucks these days. <laughs> anyway, we'll see how that goes. And I don't know what game I'll focus on next. Maybe it'll be one of those games where we're likely to win, or maybe it's one of those Calgary games. We'll see which my focus is uh, next time around. But until then... This is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. Or email me at CanucksCornerPod at gmail.com. That's CanucksCornerPod, all one word, at gmail.com. Happy New Year to y'all, and until we pod again, thanks for listening, and keep your stick on the ice.